How are we doing? Good. Good to see you guys. So this morning, uh, I want to share something that's going to be different. Uh, because this last week, I just got kind of personally convicted on some things that I, w- I knew I was allowing myself to, to kind of get sucked into and kind of get an attitude around some things. And, and, uh, but then in, in just reading through the Word, um, I really felt like the Lord gave me something that He wanted me to share. And so uh, I actually shared this on Wednesday night. And so for any of you that listen Wednesday night, I'm sorry, you're going to double dip a little. Uh, but, uh, but I really did feel like this is something for our church. Um, and I, I, know I can speak very confidently to that as far as our church, our local body of believers. But I'll honestly feel like it's something that is probably for the bigger picture of the body of Christ, the church. But I, I'm just gonna be responsible with what I know the Lord's given me. And, uh, and, and if, if it gets spread beyond that and it encourages someone else, then I'm thankful for that. I wanna start in this verse in Ephesians. If you have your Bibles uh, or Bibles apps, you can turn to Ephesians chapter four. I'm gonna start in verse 11. It says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. There's so much in that. First of all, it says that that these gifts, this is what was known as the fivefold, okay? Um, Now, I I do believe that these gifts are are given to way more than just people that work in full-time ministry. Uh, And a lot of times people think, now this is just just for pastors or this is just for people to work in the church that teach or evangelists, but, but I believe these gifts are, are ultimately, they're given to the body of Christ, to, to Christ followers. And, uh, and so when, when you look through this list, okay, so first of all, you, you've got apostles, okay? Uh, now apostles, these, these are guys that kind of work in all of these gifts. This is who the disciples were. Uh, this is who Paul was. These are people that, that they taught the word, but they prophesied, they were evangelists, they, they did all these things. And, and uh, I, I think that, that that term is not something that you should throw around real lightly. I, I don't know that there's a lot of apostles that are currently living today or not, um, but, uh, but there are some. I probably would say that you know our lead pastor, Pastor Rick, he would never take this title, but I think he kind of operates in the apostolic. I think he operates in, in that office. And so, so, and then you've got pastors and evangelists, teachers. Um, I've definitely done teaching. I've, I, I try to pastor the best I can. I love to evangelize. I love to, to preach the gospel to, to people that are unsaved. And, um, but I, I shared a while back that for, for a a good portion of a good season, especially around Bible school. And, and after that, I operated a little bit in the prophetic. Um, 
And, and I feel like that is a portion of the gift that God has given me. And, um, and I know that some of us, we've come from different church backgrounds, and, and I'm, I know that you may not have a healthy or balanced context when it comes to the prophetic. And I'm certainly not trying to weird anybody out. But I do believe that we can hear from God. And I do believe that sometimes it's not going to be a teaching. And, it, and it's not going to be something that we're just trying to pastor people. But it, it's more of a thus saith the Lord type word. And I don't throw that around very often. But I really do feel like this word for us for such a time as this is a word from the Lord. And, but it isn't going to be a five-point sermon. Uh, and, I, and that's one of the things that I'm, it stretches me is to get away from the structure of, you know, well, I'm going to have three points, and they're all going to start with P. And, you know, and like, uh, uh, but, but this morning, it's just, this is just from my heart. Uh, but I feel like it's from, from the Lord's heart. So I just want you to give me some grace to communicate through this. I want to ask this question. Have you ever been to a place and seen people that live totally different than the way you live to the point where it, it, it pulled you out of your comfort zone? Just the culture of it, everything about it was like, man, this is just different. Like I, I, I've been, I've been to I've traveled a lot. I've been on mission trips around the world, but I will say I've been to some places even here in the United States. You know, I, I, I did a mission trip one time in, in Kentucky, the old mining camps of Kentucky, old mining towns of Kentucky. I'll tell you what, man, you can meet some people around there. It's like these people different. I mean, I, that's the first time when I went to those places, it's the first time I ever heard what I call bango language. Where they don't, hey man, you know, it sounds like a, a banjo is playing. Like it's just like, hey, and I'm like, I, I need an interpreter, please. I didn't understand what they were saying, uh, but I will say, you know, when you go into some of those places, and especially when you go with third world, you start seeing these things, and and you realize, man, they they live different, but it also makes you thankful for what you have, makes you thankful for where you do live, um, makes you realize, you know, you didn't get to pick where you were born. God, God allowed you, you know? But, but as I think about that, like these people that I know in other countries, and as I've seen them on Facebook or even messaging me, people that I know that are, are missionaries, full-time missionaries or or. or people that are pastors that are nationals in, in places like India, Nepal, Mexico, and, and, and as they've been giving reports about what it's been like for them during this pandemic. I just wanna let you know, it's way different than what we're having to deal with, you know? Um, and, and, and here's the thing though, as they're, as they're giving these reports, and it's, it's heartbreaking. It is some of the stories that I could tell you, honestly, it's way too heavy. And, and honestly, some of it I just wouldn't even want the kids to hear. But, uh, but what, I, what I've noticed is these friends of mine, through their writing, through their communication, there's so much peace. 
There's so much joy. There's so much faith. There's so much trust in God's plan and in his purpose. You know, and that's always been the case. No matter where I've gone around the world, the common thing that I've always seen is these people that live in places and deal with situations and circumstances every day, not just during a pandemic, but their life is like this, that they have this joy, they have this peace, they have this faith, they have this strength. You know, whether, whether it's people that I met in, in, met this pastor at this underground church in China where almost 400 people gathered faithfully every week under the strong possibility of being arrested and put in prison. They gathered every week, underground church, and met the pastor, this man who got saved miraculously at a very young age, around 20 years old, um, while at, at a university, started preaching the gospel, got arrested, got put in prison for 20 years for preaching the gospel, spent 20 years in prison, got, got out of prison, went right back to preaching the gospel within six months, got arrested again, put back in prison for another 20 years. So he's, he, when I met him, he was in his mid-80s, and he talked about his experience of spending 40 years in a Chinese prison. And the whole time he's, he's telling me this testimony, he's smiling. Like, talking about the abuse that he experienced, how he was beat, but then he would, but his face would just light up as he talked about how he got to share the gospel with prison guards and people that were in the prison. And then, and I just thought, how can he have this kind of joy? Or when I met this, this refugee woman named, named Fortuna, I met her in Africa, but she was a refugee from the Sudan. And she had fled from the Sudan because the particular area she was in was under major religious persecution from the Muslims. And she, she told me, she was there with her two small children, and she told me the story about how just eight months earlier she had watched her husband get martyred in front of her and her kids for the sake of the gospel. And she wasn't sad and she wasn't crying, and I'm not saying that, <laughs> I'm sure she had, but I was heavy for her, and so I said, I'm so sorry. And she said, please don't say you're sorry. My husband died for the greatest thing that anyone could ever die for. I have so much joy and so much peace, and yes, I miss him, but what greater thing could any of us die for than the cause of Christ? With a smile on her face. North Vietnam and smuggling Bibles and giving someone the word of God, and they'd never had it just for themselves in physical form before, and they would hug it. They would just hug these little tiny Bibles. They would hug them and kiss them. Just so thankful to have the word. So I see this over and over and over again. And I think, how? How do they have these perspectives? Philippians 1.27 says this. Above all, above all, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one 
spirit and one purpose fighting together for what? The faith, which is the good news. Understand most of these letters are written from prison. So one of the things that we, we struggle with raising four young kids is in, in, a, in a time and era of technology is how much do we let our kids like participate in that stuff? Uh, in our house, really anything that has to do with a screen, we call that technology, okay? And so we're, we're trying to find this balance all the time. Like how much do we let our kids get on this? And I will say there have been definitely been seasons in our life where this is not balanced because how many of y'all know when you're raising small kids, sometimes you need a screen to babysit them for a little bit, okay? You, you know, don't judge me because if, you, if you've been raising kids right now and some of y'all, you raise, like my generation, you're like, well, we didn't have any of that and we, it worked out. Okay, fine, you're better parents than us. You can have that. Uh, but, but here's the thing, like at one point or another, like it's just difficult to figure these things out. And so, so we're trying to find that balance and, and, uh, and allowing our kids to, you know, have some of those things. And, but we're, we're very careful to, to make sure that we guard their hearts and guard their spirits. So we don't just let them to watch or play anything that they want to. You know, we know things that can damage their spirit. And so we're careful about those things. But, but no matter how much we, we try, they still just get so wrapped up in this stuff, right? Just like completely like entranced into the, my dad used to call it the one-eyed monster, all right? Or the one-eyed God, like just like enthralled to the point where we'll say, hey, hey, we need you guys to go and clean your room. We need you, hey, we're getting ready to leave. Technology off and nothing will happen. Like they just, they didn't hear a thing. Like it's not even like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. It's more like nothing. They don't hear anything. We can be standing feet away from them and say, hey, it's time to get off the TV. Still nothing. Like we have to physically put our hands on them sometimes. Hey, 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 hey. And then a lot of times when we finally get their attention to do that, I'd love to say that this is the response. Oh, oh, Father, forgive us. We, we didn't realize. Hark, now we hear your voice. And we will immediately turn that technology off and be completely submitted to whatever you would bid us to do for the full submission and respect of who you are and for the glory of our Father in heaven, we will now be obedient. No, that's not the way it goes. It's usually attitude. Oh, fine. Uh, uh. And if they, and, and, and so, and so we'll correct them like, no, the answer is yes, sir. So then it would be like this. Yes, sir. How many of y'all know? Like, that's like one of the most asinine things in the world when they, Say they're being respectful, but the tone they use it with just makes you want to smack them upside the head. Just like, come on. So my, my son Corbin, he developed a term for this. For when you're in technology and, and, and then you have to get off of technology and you don't like it. He called it a techitude. So when you're on technology, you have to get off, and then you have a bad attitude. 
And it's contrary really to their character. It really is. But it's just it's like it's like a drug. They're like an, it's like they're an addict. So in that moment, it feels like everything in their world is revolving around whatever they're doing, whatever they're playing, and they're way into it. Like a couple of my kids, have you ever, I don't know how it is for you guys, but when I watch my kids play video games, it is hilarious. Like they don't, my kids don't just like, no, they, they're into it. So like if they're trying to get their guy to jump, they're like, one of my kids, he cannot sit while he plays video games. He has to stand the whole time. Run faster, run faster. Like he'll literally run in place because he thinks somehow that's gonna help his guy in the video game run faster. And I just think, man, look how silly you look. And so I wonder sometimes if we live in a culture where we are so entranced with culture and with everything that we see in TV and on social media and everything else that we've developed a techitude. Where the Holy Spirit, where God is coming, he's saying, hey, you need to get off of this. You need to get away from this. This has got too much of your attention, your emotion, your time, and your energy. Come away from this. And if maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to say, hey, what matters the most? What really matters? And the thing is, the Holy Spirit will never yell to try to get our attention. But I, th I wonder if even right now, if he came over and he just tapped us on the shoulder, would we even respond? And I think sometimes, what, I think sometimes the way, when, like all of heaven watching us in the middle of all this, if heaven just kind of laughs a little bit at, man, don't these kids look silly. Trying to control things that don't really matter. Because we've lost perspective. Some of us, it's just, we're just we're so frustrated because it feels like so many things are impeding on what's comfortable, we like and don't like, and, or it's just messed up our plans. So many of you have a planitude. Like you, you wanna have control of your calendar and everything you're doing and because you can't have any of that, you got an attitude about it. Philippians 3.18 says this, for I've told you often before and I say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many people whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I just wanna, I wanna talk about that for a second because there's no way that any of you, if I ask, hey, how many of you are an enemy of the cross of Christ? Nobody's gonna raise your hand right now here in the room. But another translation says this, that what they're really an enemy of is they're an enemy of taking up their own cross every day. It's not that, they're, it's not that, it, that most Christ followers are an enemy of the cross because they love the cross because the cross saves them. The cross gives them hope. But what they reject is the fact that in order to truly walk out what it means to be a Christian, Christ-like, means you take up your own cross every day 
and you follow him every day. And it says that those people are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Not just your appetite for food. No. Your appetite to be right. Your appetite for what you define as justice. Your appetite for the things of this world. They brag about shameful things. They only think about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. How many of you guys ready for a little bit of an upgrade? Come on now. Like, I, 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 at one point, we're gonna have bodies that are not subjected to viruses or carbs or gravity. So where's your hope? He's gonna do this using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Everything under his control. So I understand this, this is not a message. This is a message for believers. Uh, we may have some people in here that are not believers right now, and I'm so glad that you're here because, because I want to apologize that you've, you've, you've probably seen some Christians and some people that would call themselves Christ-like or Christ-followers acting in ways that I really don't believe represents Christ. But I, I want to, this next thing I'm going to say is, is one of the most punchy things that I'm going to say today. And I pl please, I want you to understand my heart behind this. I'm wrestling with this. I'm walking through this myself. I'm, I'm praying about it. I'm trying to ask the Holy Spirit, God, what did, how does this apply to me? What does this mean for me? But every question that you have right now, every question that we have, whether it's about justice or rights or love or fairness or authority or being considerate or being compassionate, the answer to every one of these questions will depend on how you answer the most important question. And that is, are you first and foremost a citizen of this world or are you first and foremost a citizen of heaven? Another way that I would say it is this way. Are you first and foremost a citizen of heaven or are you first and foremost a citizen of the United States of America? What's your number one priority? Because how you answer that question will define everything. Because then it becomes about Christ. I want you to understand this. I'm one of the most patriotic people you will ever meet in your life. I only own about 20 guns right now because I sold 25 of them. I'm ashamed to say I probably only have about 2,000 rounds of ammunition right now. I grew up learning history. My dad is a historian. I love our country. I think our history is important. But I also understand there's a lot of our history that's ugly, but also have a worldview and understand as ugly as some of the parts of our history are, man, we're still the greatest nation on earth. We are the greatest nation on earth for some different reasons. First and foremost, because our country was established in Judeo-Christian ethics, number one. 
but also because a lot of men and women have counted the ultimate price and cost fighting for our liberties and our freedoms. And I'm so thankful. Come on, if you guys are thankful for the men and the women and our armed forces, our first responders, all these people, I'm thankful for that. But I also think that we have to be really clear on something. I love the Constitution of the United States. I've studied it. I've read it. I've memorized big portions of it. I love the Constitution. But the Constitution of the United States does not supersede the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love the Bill of Rights. I love it. But I also understand that as a Christ follower, when I accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, I laid down all my rights every day. So as a citizen, do I have rights? As a citizen of the United States of America, sure. But I'm not a citizen ultimately of the United States of America, I'm a citizen of heaven. It's so freeing because when you're really a citizen of heaven, there's really nothing that anyone can take away from you. Nothing. It helps you figure out what you really need to fight for. 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse 16, the amplified version says this, therefore we do not become discouraged, spiritless, disappointed, or afraid. Though our outer self is progressively wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. For our momentary light distress, we're again, writing this from prison, Light distress, this passing trouble is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, a fullness beyond all measure, surpassing all comparisons and transcendent splendor and an endless blessedness. So we look not the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen, for the things which are visible, temporal, just brief and fleeting, but the things which are invisible, are everlasting and imperishable. I remember when Cody and I felt led by the Lord to move to Arkansas from Colorado. I was born and raised in Colorado. We were part of an incredible church there on staff. Really good pay, good benefits. Um, But we knew the Lord had stirred in us that it was time to do something different. We didn't know what that was gonna be. We interviewed at a lot of different places. Um, Some of them were very attractive, but we didn't have a piece about any of those things. When we met Pastor Rick and we heard this vision of partnering with other churches in the state of Arkansas to reach the state of Arkansas, believing that Arkansas could be the first Christian state We knew that the Lord had told us that that's what we needed to be a part of. What I'm getting ready to say is not from a place of boasting because I miss it more than I get it. But when we knew that the Lord had called us, we didn't have to question how. We we, we just needed to be obedient. 
And so we were. We sold everything the first day we set foot in Arkansas was the first day we moved here. We had never been here before in our life. We just knew that God had called us here. So I've shared that before in Connect classes and maybe even from this stage before, but but I, what I don't think that I've shared before is I remember having an opportunity to fly back to Colorado Springs where we had been living for something after being here in Arkansas for a few months. And I remember flying and getting ready to land in Colorado Springs and just this overwhelming sense of this is not home. This is just not home. I mean, some of y'all, you, you understand, like when you've been around something your whole life, the culture, the people, relationships, all that kind of stuff, and, and how hard it is for you to be away from that, and, and, and longing to be back at that place, not to mention the Rocky Mountains, skiing, and all of that to we moved here during this time of year. Like, God, you, you literally called us through the gates of hell to rescue people. And I just, Colorado's not home anymore. You see, when you are obedient to the call of God on your life, you will always feel out of place on this earth. You will always feel like, hmm, this just isn't home. This just isn't where I'm ultimately supposed to be. So so I don't have to lose my peace, my joy my witness, fighting for things that ultimately belong to this earth. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. This is a verse that we quote a lot of times when we do water baptisms with people. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. No matter what part of the fivefold ministry God has gifted you with as believers, we are all called to this ministry of reconciliation. The God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sent for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I, right now, the thing I'm wrestling with is like, where, 
Where do you draw the line in the sand? You know? What hills am I willing to die on for rights? The American War for Independence. First of all, don't make any comparison to anything that's going on right now to anything that's happened in any of the previous wars because it just doesn't compare. But I know that they ultimately, they had to take a stand, you know, and, and, I, and I, know they, I know they made those decisions with a lot of prayer. But, but understand that it was a different context and what was coming against them is different than what some of us feel like is coming against us. But at the end of the day, we have to ask, what would Christ do? What would Christ do? If we're representing ambassadors, representatives of Jesus, how well are we representing? Like we are, are we a good ambassador? I think it's interesting, you know, Barabbas. Barabbas was, who was presented with Jesus before the people to say, hey, you know, it's the Passover. It's this big celebration. And so Pilate, okay, understand that Jesus lived and operated under a very oppressive government. Very oppressive. Read through the gospels and see how much of the gospels talks about how oppressive this government was. And, how Jesus and the disciples every day were fighting against these injustices. I don't see a lot. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Primarily what he did is he led these revolts against the Romans. He was a Jew. He led revolts against the Romans. And ultimately in that fight, he wind up killing people. That's why he was in prison. Okay, so he was well known. He was well known. People knew who this guy was because he was a leader of these groups of people that would fight against the Roman government. And when they set Jesus and Barabbas before the people, the people picked the person that they thought would bring them justice instead of picking the person that ultimately gave them freedom. Because they, they, were, they got wrapped up in the moment. It's, it's not fair, the injustices. Well, if, I mean, Jesus did a lot of great things and he's healing people. Barabbas is willing to fight for what we believe is right. Free Barabbas. I think we need to fight for what really matters. It's for people's souls, it's their spirit. 
Let the character of Christ and his love lead everything that we do and say. Close our eyes, bow our heads. Father God, I thank you that you've been just drilling this into me. I still find myself getting sucked back into news stories and I'm trying to use these, these platforms that I believe you, you, you could use like Facebook and different things like that. I'm trying to use those things to pastor people and to, to be a voice of encouragement and love. And, but I still find myself letting my emotions and my feelings get drawn in and wanting to disagree and wanting to show somebody they're wrong and wanting to prove a point. So I repent of those things because that's... I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to be like you. That's all that matters. I just want to be like you. Can you help me? God, will you help us? Will you help us be Christians? Christ-like. You're here today and maybe you don't have any relationship with him. You feel distant from him. So much of this is not, it's not connecting with you. In fact, there might've even been a little bit of an offense in your heart as I've been talking about some of these things because, because you've been in that place where you're just like, you're fighting for all these things. Well, it, 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 it may be that the reason why you've been in that space is maybe you haven't yet completely surrendered or you've never surrendered at all to something that is eternal and something that is way bigger than anything that we're experiencing or seeing or feeling right now. Maybe you've just never surrendered your life to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. And if, if you don't have a relationship with God through his son Jesus, then it's gonna always be difficult, way more difficult. It's difficult for me and I'm a Christ follower but it's gonna be difficult not to be completely controlled, consumed, and ultimately destroyed by the things of this world. If you're interested in having the hope that is in Jesus, the hope of heaven, an eternal citizenship, that, it, that this life, no matter how long it may be, it pales in comparison. Maybe you need to come back to him and rededicate your life to him. But if you're just in a place, you're just saying, you know what, I'm away from God and I need him. Nobody's looking around. If that's you, I'm just gonna ask you to be bold enough to put your hand up. I'm not gonna point you out, but I just wanna see who's willing to admit, hey, I need Jesus this morning. I'm away from him. I need a relationship with him. Anybody in this room, as soon as I see your hand, you put it down. Thank you, got it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Got it. That physical act of your free will that faith, I just, I believe with all my heart, man, it just helps release faith in you. Anyone else? I just need Jesus. I'm away from him. I'm away from God. Okay. For those couple of people that raise your hand, you just talk to God right there in your chair. You just say, hey, God, here's my life. I know that I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I ask for your forgiveness for my sins. And I ask that you would come in and give me a new life in you. Give me a purpose. Give me your gifts. Give me your calling. 
understand that you're not interested in just saving me from my sin, but you wanna give me the life that you died on the cross to give me. But I know the only way that I can walk in that life is to surrender completely. So I surrender to you as my Lord. Which I, I know the only way that I can do that is I can't live for myself. I certainly can't live the way the world would want me to live. So I, I stop and I turn away from it. I repent. I turn away from living. The way I've been living, living for myself, I wanna live for you. Give me the grace. Give me the clarity of your word. Give me the, 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 the body of believers and community and the support that I'm gonna need and lead me by your spirit to walk in the fullness of who you created me to be. Thank you for that moment. Father God, I thank you for this word. Any part of it that, that may have just come from my flesh, I, I just pray that none of those things take root, none of those things would, they would just fall to the side, but anything that somehow came through this broken vessel that, that was from your heart and from your will and from your word, God, I do pray that it would work its way into who we are and that it would find good soil in our hearts and that it would produce good fruit, good fruit. I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen.